This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Amanda Hampson, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Um, So you grew up in rural New Zealand and spent your early 20s travelling, finally settling in Australia in 1979, where Amanda now lives um, on Sydney's northern beaches. That's a nice spot. It's very nice, yes. (laughs) Yes. I've got no complaints about that. Absolutely, particularly this gorgeous weather. Writing professionally for more than 20 years, um, Amanda is the author of two non-fiction books, numerous articles and best-selling novels, including The Olive Sisters, Two for the Road and The Yellow Villa. Um, Amanda is here today to discuss her latest novel, 60 Summers, which features three lifelong friends who decide at 60 to retrace the steps of their 1978 backpacking trip through Europe in an attempt to recapture the sense of freedom and purpose they possessed in their youth. It's such a lovely premise. Yes, it's, you know, the, I think the premise is the thing that holds the book together. Yeah. And so I had this idea about writing something about friendships, particularly, I mean, I'm in my early 60s and I look at my friendships now and the things we've been through together over 40 years and you, your relationships are unbreakable. So I thought it'd just be really interesting to take those relationships, three very different personalities on the road because much as I love my friends, I think anybody my age will know that our friends become a little more annoying, as do we, Yes. uh, when we get older. Yes. So the intensity of getting people who are so much less flexible now than when they were 23 together on a trip, all going in the same direction. That just seemed like a fantastic, dramatic premise to me. Yeah. There's um, there's a certain freedom about, with ageing, isn't it, that I you could not have explained that to me when I was younger. Absolutely. I, I think when we were young, I mean, I did this trip in 1978 with my then husband, because I was married very young, and my best friend, and... We were very free. We gave up, you know, we were on our sort of gap year, which lasted yeah. three years. We went to London and we gave up our jobs and just set off in this car with a tent. In the days before there was any internet, any contact with anybody, you just left. Nobody knew where you were. And we did feel very free and I think that we didn't understand what that freedom was then. We thought it would last forever. Yeah. But it's certainly come back to me in my 60s because my children are growing up, I'm single, and I think, well, actually now I'm living my 20s. I'm doing pretty much what I want, living the life that I want. But I do see, and this is one of the things I wanted to address in the book, I do see women in their 60s, many trapped in really unhappy marriages, financially unable to get out, 
feeling trapped by other things and um, facing poverty if they do get out. So it's a it's a huge decision. Mm. So I kind of wanted to come at all of those things that happen from a different direction. Mm. It's That's true, isn't it? And I'm seeing that around me as well, um, where people have landed perhaps where they didn't want to be and aren't experiencing the freedom that you're talking about. Um, I think I'm lucky enough to be feeling the same way that you're feeling. And with every year, I, I get more and more freedom. Um, and I would never have imagined that that would happen. Uh, I always thought that... I thought about ageing... I was one of those young people that noticed older people a lot and I know many people didn't, but I did. And I used to think that by then everything would be sorted out, Mm. Mm. that you would be no longer be self-conscious, for instance, or, Mm. you know, that all those barriers um, would be gone. But in actual fact, they don't. And I think that that is the beauty to freedom as well, that you're still learning and you're still trying to be who you are. Yeah, I, I suppose and one of the themes that's come out in the book is coming back to the essence of yourself. Yes. You know, there's no question that for my generation, the baby boomers, we were very disciplined by our fathers, virtually all of us. And then we left home and, and most of us got married in our early 20s mm-hmm. and I then fell into line with our husbands. Not because they were, you know, brutes, but that's just what we had been trained to do. So I think there's so many of us became doormats Mm. um, and I've certainly had my doormat periods. Uh, But getting older, look, people talk about older women becoming invisible. It's fantastic. I just love it because you don't have that, um, you know, I travel a lot on my own. I've just been to Spain for a month on my own. I can go up and talk to anybody any young man, any couple, anybody, yeah. because I don't have that self-consciousness about no. being a woman that somebody might think, oh, is she chatting me up and there's some kind of uh, something running interference there. That in itself is enormous freedom. Sure, I think that is too. But I think in terms of who we are and always working on who we are, that doesn't change. No. I don't know. I, yeah, yeah I, I agree. I, do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That you can't, you know... Sort of getting back to your core as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Okay, so uh, I want to just talk about how your gap year went from one year to three years without any technology. And I remember doing that as well. I mean, I didn't go for as long as you did. Well, I kind of did actually. I was away for two. Yeah, so... And the only way I can communicate with home, because I couldn't write, uh, ring because it was too expensive. Yes, exactly. So it was aerograms. So yes, that's my, right. Yeah, I mean, you remember them. Yeah. And do people use those yeah. anymore? <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if they even exist. Yeah, I don't know But either. I used to pay, write, you know, 10-page letters home. Mm, mm. And I wish I knew where they were now. My mother would have just thrown them all out. Yeah, my sister has kept mine. But what I'm trying to get at here is that complete um, freedom of family, of friends, like when you're travelling. And... I'm not meaning to be sounding like an old person here, but I wonder when people <laughs> she take... She said about to sound like an old, <laughs> an old person. person. But I wonder now, I see people take, young people take a gap year and they're Skyping their parents every evening. Wow. That's or intense. If, it's intense, isn't it? Mm. Do you see that? Well... At mm, least once a week, they're, you know, they're connected. Certainly they keep in touch and... Certainly they it, ask It's quite questions. a different thing. Yeah, it is. But then I think back to my parents, you know, we really got on a plane 
and went away and probably once a month they'd get a letter. Yes. And when we went to Europe, which was for two or three months, they might get a, a postcard. Yeah. I'm, but I'm I just... don't think they worried about us the way that we worry about our kids. No, but I, I think there's that, but there's the other side of it. Like, is the learning... Now I am sounding old, aren't I? Because I just <laughs> want to know... It's that whole thing that I think of of being a helicopter, like that if you're stuck in Italy and you were in Rome and you ran out of money, you had to find your, a solution, yes, didn't exactly, you? Exactly, right? yeah. I'm just wondering now, the solution would be to Skype your parents. And get and it to sent get it. by Western Union. Yeah or, yeah, or get some, you know, they will come up with a solution for you. I'm just wondering, does that affect freedom generally? Well... Look, my daughter has travelled on her own and she yesterday she went to Japan to work for three months. And are you one of those parents that needs to be Skyped? Not at all, but she will keep in touch just with messages and let yes. me know what's happening. I would not have had the courage in a million years to go overseas on my own in my early 20s. But perhaps if I'd had that kind of connection, knowing that my parents were there, for, I mean, I think they were very relieved when I went away because I was a pain in the neck. Um <laughs> But, yes, if I had that, that sort of umbilical cord going home, yes, maybe I would have felt more confident to go out in the world completely on my own. Yeah. Um, so That's I'm a good not point. sure it's That's entirely a, a bad yeah. thing. Yeah. Women didn't travel on their own then. That was For those really, reasons. really rare. Yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so tell me, how did this come about? Like, I, I want to start with, you know, where you grew up and how it is that you ended up in Australia with a slight accent because I can <laughs> hear it. I can hear it. So talk to me about that. Um, well, I grew up in a place called Pukitaha. Yeah. Which Australians seem to find very amusing for some reason. I don't know why. And uh, so it was in rural New Zealand and grew up on a dairy farm. It was quite isolated. We didn't have television till I was in my teens. Right. So it was really books and reading. We yeah. went to the library in the town on a Friday night, probably once every couple of weeks. And we got the family got books and we came home and we read. Yeah. And so... I, I just, I loved books, I loved stories. My dad's from Liverpool, he was a 10-pound pom. And so they are a storytelling culture, like the Irish. Yeah. And so I'd heard, you know, my dad and later on my auntie can tell the most fantastic story about nothing. Yeah. I've heard in Liverpool, I've heard my auntie tell a story about how she lost her bus ticket that was riveting. Yes, yeah, yeah. somehow they've got the oh, story construction going yeah, on. It's yeah, amazing. I love it too. Yeah. And um, so I just love the idea of being able to kind of coalesce these stories. And and it's it's an amazing thing. We're sitting here surrounded by books. The whole idea that you can make someone feel emotion, take them somewhere, allow them empathy with the character, just through little black marks on a white page... Yeah. I still think is quite extraordinary. It is extraordinary, isn't it? It yes. is. And also, too, that it opens people's worlds. Like yes. many writers like yourself, you know, I mean, we, we've recorded over 200 podcasts now. Um, and a lot of it, the the seed of writing or the thought of, of actually becoming a writer started with a passion for reading, mm. which makes sense. Mm. But as children, for whatever reasons, they might have been isolated in rural com communities or just, you know, personalities that were, you know, um, not social. And so they took to books. They took to the solace mm. of, of books. And because that is a world, that relationship between reader 
um, and author is so personal. Yes, and I mean Heidi was like my dearest friend. Absolutely. I just absolutely, you know, I used to have milk with, you know, bread in it, you know, yes. to eat like Heidi did. And, yes. Um, yeah, so I loved those. And I thought that to become a writer, you know, you would become like a journalist. Back then there weren't many opportunities for women to have any kind of career. And I certainly didn't know any woman who did. They all milk cows. And so I... I signed up at the local paper as a cadet and when I was about 16 and then unfortunately, well it's turned out fortunately in the end, uh, when I was 16 I became pregnant oh, right. and so I ended up so leaving you, school, <laughs> I was kicked out of home wow. and so I became not exactly homeless, I kept a roof over my head but I moved around to different people looking after their children and doing while housekeeping while I was pregnant. At, at 16? At 16. So your parents disowned you? Uh, for that period of time, yes. When uh, wow. I gave my son up for adoption, I went home and we all pretended pretty much nothing had happened. And um, Gee, it was, was very much the way then. I mean, it was 1971 in New Zealand, but that was like 1961 mm. anywhere else. It was very culturally mm. uh, backward. What happened to the young man? So the um, the father, uh, that's a very long story. We could be here yeah, all day. Yeah. But he was he was around, but he was not um, yeah. wanting to be committed to that situation. And so I gave my son up for adoption. And but I found him again when he was twenty one. Tell and me about so, that story. Um, well, we were reunited when the laws changed. Uh, so so that, who found who? Well, I found him. You so were looking for him? When the, yes, when the laws changed, you could write to the Department of Welfare, who I had contacted many times just to find out if he was alive. Tell me about giving, like at 16, to birth a baby and to give that up. Can you remember... I mean, a lot of it is really blacked out. I didn't yeah. know... How frightening would that have Yes, been? it was. And... Um, I, th I think I just wanted the adults to take charge again. So how did you, um, so was it through a hospital or did you go, I mean, how did... The adoption? Who, or? No, who was looking after you when you were in labour? Oh, I went to a hospital, yeah. You went to a hospital, yeah. but yeah. you had no other connection with anyone else? No. So you went by yourself? Yes, I went by myself. In the old days, legs Gosh, up and stir Yes, no, That's, treated yeah. very, and we were treated very poorly. Uh, it was though society felt they just needed to you know, get the boot in. Mm. Um, but, you know, this this might sound cynical and I don't mean it to be. I was taught very clearly at 16 that you're on your own in this world mm. and it's actually served me very well. You know, the fact that you do have to look after yourself. You do have to make decisions that are not going to be detrimental to you. Um, it, it, and it And it gave me a lot of compassion. You know, I was quite a reckless teenager and it really made me see, wow, you can make a mistake and, boy, the whole world will come down on you. Mm. So in a lot of ways it was the making of me. You know, the, the fact that I managed to keep a roof over my head, you know, I had no money, I had no means. It's extraordinary, yeah. But in fact, you know, I found my son when he was 21. So I want to go, I want to go back to how the, did you have children during that time, other children? I didn't have children then till I was 39 and right. 42. So when you were looking for your son, did you have children? Yes. So yeah. I found my son when my daughter was about, well, we actually met 
when I, she was about eight months old. Yeah. Right. So I found him and then I got pregnant because actually I couldn't get pregnant before that. Yeah. I had five years of infertility, found him pregnant six months later, have my and daughter do you think and then we met. Oh, I absolutely do. Without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. 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 I think that, you know, the guilt that you carry, um, you just need to be relieved of that. And once I'd had a letter from him and I knew it was going to be okay. Something, and where something was he? in you. He's in he's in New Zealand. So yeah. he was nearby. Yeah. 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 I was living in Australia by then. Right. So um, And you've met? Yeah, so oh no so I've been a part of his life now for over 20 years. Yeah. And so his children have never known a time when they didn't have three nanas. And they have Nana Jean, Nanny, Nana Joan and Nana Mandy. And um, in fact, when I was 59, he and I ran the New York Marathon together to celebrate his 40th birthday. Mm. That was our little project that we did together. So, no, we get on fantastically. He's very similar personality and... Um, it's all been, in the end, it's been wonderful. It's just a really wonderful part of my life. Mm. So I guess that's the um, that's the benefit of really just rolling with things that happen in your life. I don't feel victimised or it happened to me, you know, that's, that's what happened now, let's just mm. see what we can do next. Mm. It happened to a million women. Mm. It still doesn't make it easy though. But, yeah, wow, what a great, I mean, it's a great story. Um, where you've landed. Um, okay, so you started, so you, what happened to your cadet journalist Oh, so gig? that was all out the window. Yeah. So then from then on, really, I've become an autodidact. So everything that I have um, learned about reading and writing has been of my own volition. So you didn't so, become a journalist? No, I didn't become a journalist. I finished school then. I went to work in an office when I came back and that was that. Mm. So, you know, I've really undertaken a lifetime of reading went to live in London and I had an uncle there and a friend of his who worked for the Oxford University Press and they are the ones that introduced me to every kind of literature, you know, um, Very prestigious and press. Yes, and, you know, I had um, was taken under their wings mm. and, you know, read widely and continued to read all the classics and the Jane Austen and everything else and and basically was self-educated. In some ways that has been very good for me because I wasn't great at school. Mm. I wasn't, if I'm interested in something, I am in there 120%. If I'm not interested, I have to be dragged to it. Mm. Uh, so I was able to really close the focus and really just you know, work on learning about literature and writing and reading and all mm. of those kind of mm. things that interest me. I think me. sometimes... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Um, the system of education doesn't work for people. No. The process of learning, the way that it's taught mm. does not work for people. No, that's um, right. And that's why those people don't, it doesn't work with them. It doesn't have anything to do with intellect, does it? No, no. I found no. it utterly boring. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to be a bit more gentle. (laughs) All right, so you were self-taught. And so when was it that you came to writing your first... Were you writing all along? Yeah, so I wrote, you know, in my work I wrote, I wrote articles. You know, I was was kind of nibbling around the edges, just feeling, okay, you've just got to build your muscle in this area. Practice. Yeah, that's exactly right, practice. And particularly writing for magazines, which mostly don't exist anymore, is very good because there is a style, there is a structure. And, you and have there's to a start, deadline. Yeah, and there's a deadline. You have to work for all of those things. So um, I did that. And then I uh, decided, because of everything I'd been through uh, on the infertility front, I decided to write this non-fiction book called Battles with the Baby Gods, uh, which is really about why women are so desperate to have children, you know, that they will go through really hell to get to that point. And so I interviewed um, couples who had been through various infertility problems and um, got, you know, both their points of view and saw how they resolved it. So it's it's funny because I'm the complete opposite of all the other stories you hear about people sending their manuscripts out and having rejections because, touch wood, I actually haven't had a rejection yet. Uh, so I sent that um, book, that manuscript, uh, to Transworld and I got a call about three months later saying we'd like to publish it. And so, it, so you weren't a professional in fertility obviously no no not at all but I was telling personal stories about and particularly there hadn't really been anything done about how the part the male partner feels about finding their infertile or or going through IVF or so it was I was really just interviewing them writing up their stories giving an overview of um where that how they tackled it from a a lay person's point of view Mm. Extraordinary, and they published it. Yeah, so they published that. Then I wrote another non-fiction book, uh, which was really about the similar uh, genre about the family experience of Alzheimer's, which was just an utterly miserable experience. And and was that from you, you'd known someone? Oh, my stepmother had Alzheimer's. Right. Um, so when that was done, you know, I knew it was time to tackle the novel. And um, my then so your Alzheimer's book was published. Yes, so I ended up actually self-publishing that. Yeah. Because at that time, Transworld was taken over by another publisher, and yeah. everything started to fall Random apart. House, yeah. So I self-published that, and that job was done. Right. Okay. And so then um, I both. So by then, I had two small children. We, my then partner and I, had um, left the city and gone to live in the country. We went and lived there for three or four years. And I had in, the... In Australia. Yeah, in yeah. Australia. Um, and I had the idea for the Olive Sisters, which is about a woman who loses her corporate empire 
and um, inherits this olive grove and she goes there to, to sell it and she finds out all these secrets about her family and her Italian grandparents. And so I spent five years writing that. Mm. Um, and whilst raising your children, yes, exactly yeah. right. And and you know, you know, people would say, "Oh, how are you going to get to publish it?" Or you know, people have really <laughs> crazy ideas about. They think if you write a book, it will get published. Yeah, and um, <laughs> crazy. which turned out to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and but I had this idea in my mind. I I don't care about publication at this point. I just want to get this book right. Um, so long story short, it went to Penguin. And similar thing, I was contacted to say they were interested in publishing it. And I had a um, meeting with the commissioning editor and she said, well, we're interested in publishing it, but we'd like you to write a coda. So I said, oh, fantastic, no problem at all. Yeah. I had to go home and look up what a coda actually was. Yeah, I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's, well, it's, it's, you, it's like a, a chapter that folds everything up and ties the ends together. Right. It's more to do with a symphony. Right. You know, where they have this sort of reprise or something yeah. at the end. So, yeah, so that was published and became a bestseller and everything went fabulously. And and why do you think it became a bestseller? Because I spent five years writing it. Look, I think it was the right book at the right time. There's lots of wonderful, wonderful books out there, but you can just be not the right book at the right time in the right place for yeah, whatever reason. And, and I also think too, I think um, we shy away very often um, about writing about, you know, what we know and who we are and mm. I think that that, that that comes out through your fiction, that kind of honesty of, and about being, you know, as we said earlier, very comfortable with who you are and yes. the characters being yeah. very comfortable with who, with who they are. Mm. Yeah. So another success. So you had that published. Yes. And so then really I sort of went on and I wrote two for The Road, which was, you know, not so successful. Then I got very caught up because an American producer had uh, optioned The Olive Sisters and I got very caught up with a few for a few years writing the screenplay. And um, then that kind of fell over. It's kept getting up and falling over, getting up and falling over. And in the end, I said, okay, well, look, that's the end of it. I've really had enough. And uh, so then I cracked on and wrote um, The French Perfumer, uh, which was also a bestseller that came out in 2016. Yeah. yeah. So you put the screenplay down and decided yeah. to go back to writing that's fiction. Right, yeah. Did it ever become no. a film? No. no. That often happens with film. Oh, yeah, a it's lot. a lot of money. A lot. And you get too many people involved and too many fingers in the pie yeah, and people yeah. don't know what they're talking about. And yeah. it's not, it's really, from my point of view, not a good word world for a writer. Yeah. Because you've got so many people telling you what they think that you should write. Look, I did work for a couple of years with Fred Skepsy. Yeah. And that just was name an, dropping. Yes, <laughs> let's just drop a name in here. How did that um, come about? Tell me well, about that. Well, he ended up the first director pulled out, mm-hmm. and um, then Fred signed up to be the director. And initially, he didn't want to work with me because I'm an untried. You know, yeah. I have no backstory as a, a screenwriter. So I organised to have a meeting with him, and I said to him, "This script that you have read is not my best work. That has had so many." cooks in the kitchen on that one and he said well you write a script that you want and uh, if I like it I'll work on it so I went away and did that so that took about three months absolutely full on all through Christmas 
And as I went on, I started sending him bits and, and then we started to work together. So we did two long stints of working together, just speaking every couple of days on Skype. Can I, can I ask you, um, and, you know, it, and the answer is not going to be a surprise. I mean, how did you know how to write a screenplay? Mm, well, I just read a lot <laughs> and just I taught myself and yeah. I went to the US and did a, a course and, yeah, just taught myself, yeah. Mm. What's yeah. the difference between writing? Oh, pff, where do I start? It's because, mm. well, I, I describe a novel as just like a massage with lots of aromatic oils uh, a script is like some, is like the chiropractor. It's really just the bones of a story because a, a screenplay is the director's medium. You just need to say this person came in the room, give them some decent dialogue and, um, you know, sort of lift the bones out of the book and it works in quite a different way, very different structure because it's, it's structured to 110 minutes and da-da-da-da. Yeah. But because the rest of the story is being told visually, isn't that's it? That's exactly right. And yeah. so you have to allow for that. And, yeah. and I am a very visual person, so I'm seeing the scene all the time. Mm -hmm. And so if, if I'm working with someone and they're seeing a different scene, I can just see their scene. Mm. You know, it's, it's just like changing channels. But working with Fred taught me so much I can't even say he was so um there was never a time when he you know pulled rank or even inferred the fact that he was you know more a, experienced <laughs> a little bit more experienced let's say yeah. <laughs> and and never told me what to write yeah. you know we would work through what we were doing and we'd do a small section at a time and he would say I think what we need between um scene 12 and scene 13, is something that shows this, this and this. That would be as much direction as he would give. So we, we would just kind of talk things through and so then I'd write that scene and send it to him and he'd go, great. Mm. And then we'd get together in a couple of days more and we would, you know, um, but looking at it in a very forensic way, deep, 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 and then pulling back and looking how the scenes were working and... So we did that once and then a whole lot of other stuff changed. It's all locked from my memory. And then we did it again. And then in the end, the money just wasn't coming. The people who were supposed to get the money were not doing their part. Mm. And so he pulled out. So I said, I'm pulling out as well. And another producer pulled out. And that was it. It was done. That was it. Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right. So then you came back to writing fiction. Yeah. To, to what yeah, you thought. Yeah, oh, that's going to be way easier than this. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and tell me about this book. Um, so how did this come to you? Where has this story come from? So 60 Summers, look, I, I really feel that I want to write more and more about women of my generation. Yeah, absolutely. Because there are, not, there are lots and lots of books coming out by much younger women. Mm. And, you know, I've been there, I've been through it, I have that sensibility of the generation and um, I'm really keen to kind of express our point of view because, okay, so young people might look at us and say, oh, you know, they're just a bunch of old ladies, but we're not. We're actually rock and roll chicks. Mm -hmm. We were the first teenagers. We made being a teenager cool. And we, many of us, were very reckless, much more reckless than young people now. So I think we have a, a quite a different makeup and a sensibility. Even if even if women have become more conservative, there's that other layer there. 
So these. Do you think women have become more conservative? Oh, some women have, yeah. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Talk to me about female friendship. Well, I just feel that it's just one of the most valuable things that women mm. can have. Mm. You know, I, I um, had a few friends and family for a bit of a launch uh, a few days ago and I talked about this conversation that I had had with a woman a few years ago where she was telling me she'd, she'd been through this terrible thing. It was all behind them now. Their, their business went down, they went bankrupt and their son lost his house and it was just awful. And I said, well, I hope you've got some really supportive friends. I didn't know her terribly well. And she said, oh, I didn't tell anyone about it. <gasps> and I said, what? Well, I like to tell everybody my problems. Oh, yeah. And uh, I said, well, but why not? She said, well, what would be the point? I said, well, how? She said, how would I even tell them? I said, well, you ring and you bawl on the phone. Do you know, and that's also a very male thing. I don't, you know, I've got yes, lots oh, of... Yes, oh, absolutely, I've yeah. got lots of male friends and so... Um, and, you know, they'll they'll go and have a drink together or something. And then when I see one of them the next day, I'll say, oh, did you hear that, you know, that John, whoever the guy, you know, um, is, you know, jogging every day? No? No. <laughs> oh, and also that, you know, his mother died? No? No. And I want to – I just want to pull my hair out and say, what do you talk about? <laughs> what do you – they, they don't really find out anything personal about mm, each other, mm. do they? But women do, and I think it's it's, it's unusual that, it, that, that she's not sharing that story. Yeah, it, it is unusual, help. and I, in retrospect, I wonder if her husband told her, do not tell anybody about yeah. this. This is our problem. And so I said, well, you know, you ring your friend and you, the appropriate friend, you ball on the phone. She said, mm. well, what do they do? I said, well, they get in the car mm. and drive across town in their pyjamas mm. and comfort you. That is what we do for each other. And, you know, for all of us, we've been through family deaths. The friends that I have that have mm. been around for 40 years, divorces, you know, marital problems, child problems, all, all of it. Mm. So they are like the archive mm. of who we are, mm. literally. They have seen us in all our different ages and stages. Mm. And so my idea was to get three of these women together who were very different but in some ways they're very cohesive. You know, Fran is very quiet and quite solitary and has ended up not married, which is was her hope was to be married and have children. Uh, she has a rather lacklustre lover who's halfway out the door. Maggie is um, in charge of this family, um, you know, large family that are have a construction company and she's the accountant and she runs the house and now she's had Yaya move in and her daughters are running amok. So she is the glue that holds everything together but that glue is breaking down mm. and so that's what sort of becomes the catalyst to kind of save her from a nervous breakdown. And then Rose is the reckless one. She, she always wanted to be free, be the rock and roll chick and she married, she got pregnant and married... Um, a man who is a brilliant academic, but he is just a man-child mm. and she has to just pick up after him and she describes him when she's at home as like one of those pop-up ads, like every time you get rid of it, it just pops up somewhere else because he's always <laughs> looking for things, both real and virtual, that he's lost. <laughs> and um, so they, they sort of come together and close ranks because Maggie is about to have a nervous breakdown or mm. she's in she the process of friends, it. Yeah. yeah. And so... You know, they they have this dinner where they, Fran's in London and the other two are here and they they Skype the celebratory dinner once a year where they just enjoy their friendship. 
And so Rose comes up with this idea, let's go back and find those young girls, those beautiful girls that that went around Europe and were so free and easy and let's go and do that. And the other two are a bit reluctant, but she gets the show on the road and off they go. So, you know, it's very different um, when you travel when you're older. So there's lots of mishaps with lost glasses and people's medication and all of those um, and, and just getting on each other's nerves. Uh, but interestingly, as I was writing it, and, and I've got to say it was very, very tricky to write because I always like my work to completely flow so that you, you, you go in there and you never have to read a sentence twice. Everything is just being delivered to you on a plate and you're in the world, in the experience. So you, you need to have this flow. So we need to establish the characters very clearly so you can see them, you know who they are. Then I had to get them on the road, keep them moving, keep them moving mentally, looking at what these places mean to each other, interweaving the past and the present so it's kind of seamless. But what I realised is that travel these days is so comfortable that you can make sure nothing ever goes wrong. Mm -hmm. When I go away and travel, I, tr I plan it meticulously. Nothing ever seems to go wrong. Mm. So then I made everything go wrong. So everything goes wrong. And that's when they start to rediscover who they are mm. and rediscover their friendship. And, yeah, so that was that was a lot of fun, pulling that rug out. You are an amazing storyteller, not just on paper, but um, also I could sit here and listen to your stories all day. Oh, thank you. Um, wonderful. Uh, the book is called uh, 60 Summers. Amanda Hampson, thanks so much for talking to us today. Thanks for having me, Cheryl. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of ebooks and e audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.